So I'm thrilled today to be able to share our story with you that we've put in a book called The Little Girl Wins. I know some of you have probably read this. Um, but our story begins in, uh, in really in 1971. I was 17 years old, and I was a very selfish, out-of-control uh, young man. I grew up in a home with great parents, very loving parents, and the one thing that was lacking in my life was discipline. Uh, my mother had bought into the pop psychology of the day that kids didn't need to be disciplined. And so I, uh, I ruled the house. And I was, I'm the youngest. I have two older sisters. And uh, my sisters loved it when I came home from the hospital. They put, we lived in this little bitty small, like, three-room house. You know, we all shared a bedroom. And so they laid me in the bassinet. And my oldest sister, Patsy, would walk by and throw Tonka trucks in the bassinet because in her disdain of me being there, but uh, and I haven't got over it yet, so I'm still I'm I'm, I'm triggered right now. Um, but um, in 1971, I was uh, doing everything that I could to hurt everyone that loved me, and and doing whatever it was I thought would satisfy the pain in my heart of nobody identifying for me what the ditches were. And I was in the ditch all of the time. And I was partying and doing what I did back then, using drugs and alcohol and out of control. And and I was dating a girl, and uh, really it wasn't more dating as that we were partying and we'd end up in the same bed at the end of the night. And And one night she came to me and said, I'm pregnant. And... Uh, that was information that I was not ready to process. And in my selfish character, I simply just rejected that information and walked away. And so she had a, a little girl, and uh, that little girl is with me today, and I would like to introduce you to her. Her name is Jessica. turn it on you need to there you go i will help you hey y'all hey now we're cooking with fire <clears throat> so fast forward from that moment to the mid 80s sherry and i had came to jesus and uh and been married and divorced y'all know our story we wrote a book about it called granny paid for our divorce because my grandmother actually paid for us to be divorced and We'd remarried, and in the mid-'80s, I was in my, our hometown, and I was at a restaurant, and I saw this girl that I had dated's dad come in the restaurant with two little teenage kids, and I saw this little girl across the restaurant, and I knew immediately that she was my daughter. When Sherry and I were first married, she had asked me the question. She said, well, you're not going to have some kids showing up or something, are you? And I said, well, maybe. <laughs> and so when I saw Jessica that day, I called Sherry. I had to find a pay phone. For those of you that don't know what that is, we'll explain it later. <laughs> had to find a pay phone and called Sherry. And, and I called her and told her, I said, I saw this little girl today. And she's my daughter. 
And so we started praying and asking the Lord what to do. And the answer that we received was wait. And so we waited. In 2000, so that was the mid-80s. In 2009, I was preaching in St. Louis, Missouri at a large church there. There was 5,000 people there. And I told the story about how Jason, when Sherry and I were divorced, that he prayed for his daddy to come home. And uh, But there was a girl in the audience, and we didn't know her, and she didn't know us. And, oh, by the way, it was Father's Day. And, uh, and this girl, she was so impressed with what was going on that she started to communicate to her big sister on the East Coast. When she got out of church, she called her on the phone to tell her all about the great music and the stories and all the people that came to Jesus and all of these things. And finally, her big sister says, well, tell me this man's name and I'll look him up. And she said, his name's Jimmy Bradshaw. So my sister didn't know, but I knew three things about my dad. I knew his name was Jimmy Bratcher. I knew he had long curly hair, and I knew that he played the guitar. I didn't know anything else. And so she's texting me, blowing up my phone, and she calls, and she's like, hey, his name's Jimmy Bratcher, and I dropped the phone. And when I recovered, I said, do you know who this man is to me? And she says, no. And I said, that's my dad. And there was this long pause. And she says, well, what are you going to do? And I said, nothing. I'm not going to do anything. He's never been a part of my life. Why would I want to invite him in now? Now, later she told me she thought I threw the phone. Once she found out who she who he was. But that's where it stayed. And I put it back in the daddy box, locked way down inside of my heart never to be opened ever again. So about six, eight months later, um, my father-in-law, who had taken on a lot of those daddy roles, because our need for daddies don't ever go away just because there isn't one, right? And he um, was dying from COPD, and he was breathing his last, walking into the arms of Jesus. And you ever have one of those loud moments with God where you really let it all out? I was having one of those moments. In the sil silence of that hospice room, my heart was screaming at him, how dare you? How dare you take him away from me? I have never had a daddy. And he has filled this. And now you're taking him. And who is going to be my daddy now? But little did I know that God had other plans. Because a year, almost to the day later, I got a Facebook friends request from Jimmy Bratcher. On February 13th, 2011, Sherry and I were in Christiana, Pennsylvania. And I was getting ready to speak for the ninth time that weekend. I don't know about you, but that's a whole lot of talking. And I was in the green room waiting to go out to speak for the last time, and I was having a cup of coffee when I heard this voice in my heart. And I knew that voice. 
because that was the voice of, of Jesus speaking to me. And the voice said, I'm about to change your life. And I thought, great, you know, what's that mean? I'm going to quit traveling, I'm going to pastor a church, I'm going to get a real job, you know. What what is what does that mean? And you know, I started dreaming about that and just thinking about it, what that would look like. And you know, one of the things that I know about the Lord after following Him for four decades plus um, is that we never can outdo Him when it comes to dreams. I mean, He's always got something that goes beyond what we could ask or think, and. Uh, bypasses all you know it's just amazing that's why we say amazing grace you know it's like how god only god could come up with a plan like that and uh so we got i preached that service and we got in the car and started to philadelphia to the airport when i got an email from jessica's mother and it was the first time that i'd heard from her since 1971 and the email said this it said it's overdue that you should meet your daughter and your grandsons. Her name's Jessica Strong, and you can find her on Facebook. And that was the end of the message. And my response was immediately to say, I'm sorry, when and where? Because I was at the, in the frame of mind. It's like, I don't care where I got to go or when, I'm going. And so I responded to that, and I sent Jessica a Facebook friends request. So it is February of 2011, and there's a lot of stuff going on. My marriage is not good. My kids are not good. I'm not so good. The dog died. Like, there's a lot of stuff <laughs> happening. That's the right? truth. True like, story. really, like, all of this, all in the same, like, five-day window, all this stuff is going on. It's the Daytona 500. My husband is a NASCAR guy. I opened the computer because Facebook was not on our phones yet, for those of you who remember that. And I get this friend's request. And my husband, I, like y'all NASCAR, NASCAR people. There ain't NASCAR people. Y'all know, like, Daytona is the Super Bowl of NASCAR. He's got his wings, he's got his chips, he's got his, you know, all the things are all there, and I am silent, right? And I'm like, baby, there's a, um, I need you to take a look at this. Woman, the race is on. No, it's really important, I need you to take a look at this. And he takes a look at it, and he said, isn't that your dad? And I said, yeah. And he said, what are you going to do? And I said, Nothing. And I closed the laptop, I set it on the couch, I got in the truck, and I drove into town to buy I don't know what for I don't know what. I don't remember the drive. I remember that I came to in the parking lot with a car full of stuff that I don't know what it was, with tears streaming down my face and my mom messaging me frantically, call me. Are you okay? Call me. Well, she called. And no, I'm not okay. What is happening? Why is he messaging me now? What am I supposed to do with this? Why is this happening? I'm completely hysterical. My sister's calling me. Are you okay? Are you okay? And both of them, mostly my mom, said, you don't have to do anything with this if you don't want to. You don't even have to answer. 
It's totally up to you. And that's what I wanted to do was nothing. But what I realized is that God was asking me a question. Do you trust me? Do you trust me with all those daddy things? That box. So I went silent to him. I didn't talk to anyone outside of a very close circle of people for about three weeks. And what were you doing? Nothing. Slacker. No, what happened is that as soon as I sent that Facebook friends request, the realization of my choices came to live in my heart that I had abandoned a child. And I went into what I can only describe as the deepest grief that I'd ever experienced in my life. You know, the Bible tells us that there are times when we go to pray and all we can do is groan. And somehow God interprets that. And every moment of my day was consumed with with her. And when I'd wake up in the morning, the awareness of and the weight of what I had done and her were on my mind. And I, I was able to just eke out a three-word groan. Oh, God, Jessica. So for three weeks, I had to make a decision. What was I going to do? Was I going to trust God or not? Was I going to say yes or not? And it's like, it's like the story of Gideon when he asked him, when God asked him to go take on the Midianites, right? And he's got 30,000 and the Midianites have 300,000 and, and God keeps cutting down the size of Gideon's army until it's 300. And so it's like this one dude going against like 500 dudes, right? And I'm that. God has peeled away all the things. There's nothing but this conversation between he and I for three weeks. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Are you willing to give up your pain and all of the reasons why you were orphaned and abandoned and neglected and unwanted and unloved? Are you willing to give up all of those wounds for what I'm offering you? That's the question he's asking. And I decided... Yes, obviously, here I am. And I sent an email, and I said, the woman in me wants to know where you've been and why now. The little girl in me wants to run to you with arms wide open. But you know, I dealt with my feelings about you a long time ago because I knew you'd never see me dance. You'd never see me graduate. You'd never walk me down the aisle. But you're here now. Thanks for showing up. So when I got that email, I was at Daytona. 
the band and I were doing concerts at Bike Week, and we were staying in the house of an old biker dude named Drifter. And he had no furniture, no groceries, no nothing. So it was uh, it was quite the experience. It rustic. was rustic. Yeah, it was definitely. And um, and all I had was my phone, and I took the next five hours to write an email to uh, to Jessica. Which, by the way, if you read the book, all of our emails, all of our texts, word for word that we use, the words that we used with each other, all there in the book for you to read. And I answered as many questions as I possibly could, but I wanted to talk to someone. And the person I wanted to talk to was that little girl. I wanted her to know how sorry I was I wanted her to know that I knew the mistakes that I'd made. And I wanted her to run to my arms. When I closed the email, I simply said, Jessica, I hope that the little girl wins. Out of all the arguments, out of all the pain, out of all the regret and all the grief, I hope she's the one that wins. And so we started communicating. You know, a lot of times in church, it don't get this real and raw. And so, you normally don't have a grown man crying on the platform unless Doug breaks something loose, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> unless he pulls a hammy or something, you know. <laughs> So we started communicating, and it was a full-time job. Texts and emails from the time we woke up, like from eyes open, not even out of bed yet, until eyes closed as the end of the day rolled around. And it was just, hey, what are you doing today? Hey, what are, you know, that get-to-know-you early conversation where you're just asking all the questions one of the first questions she asked was, does your family know about me? And, uh, and I said, well, Sherry knows about you. And Sherry's response was, you know, Jimmy, we have, had, we have a great life. We have a great marriage. We have a great family. But something's always been missing. And Jessica and Leroy and the boys are it. And because Amanda was my, my daughter, Amanda was our personal assistant, I felt that I needed to tell her because she would have opened up one of these emails and said, what the heck is this? And, uh, and Amanda said exactly the same thing that Sherry said without knowing what Sherry had said. We've got a great family. Something's missing. And there it and Jason, our son Jason, he said, well, you know, I heard all those crazy stories about mom and dad, and I'm surprised this hadn't happened before now. <laughs> so on March 8th, uh, I told Jessica that week, her first email came on March 8th, and I told her, I said, you know, we're on the East Coast. 
I'm preaching in Augusta, Georgia on Sunday, and she lives outside of Washington, D.C., and if you would like to meet Sherry and I, just name the place, when and where, and we'll be there. And so she picked out, uh, Leroy was working a couple of hours south of their house in Charlottesville, Virginia, and she picked out what came to be as the loudest restaurant in in Charlottesville. so loud. It was so as a little bitty. It was a little bitty restaurant with great big volume. Yeah, I think everybody in there was screaming. Maybe. But so we pull into the parking lot, and there they are. And I have to tell you about Leroy. Leroy Strong, first sergeant, retired Marine Corps drill instructor of the year. Leroy Strong. And I look at him and I go, he's packing. But I had made up my mind that uh, I wasn't going to speak until she spoke. You parents know what that's like. You going to say something? Yeah, we got to talk about the van. Oh, okay. Because he comes around the corner and we're standing there in the parking lot. They he, know about the white pearl. He comes around the corner in the hippiest hippie van I have ever seen in my life. If it's parked in a Walmart parking lot, no woman is coming within 500 yards of it because you know the van, right? And they come around the corner, and I'm thinking, they're hippies. They're hippies. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll roll with it, see how it goes. <laughs> but I'm also reexamining my heart. Because at that point, I wanted to give him all the anger and all the hurt and all the wounds that had been made by his absence. Every time I knew that I was different than the other little girls. Every time there was a daddy, daughter, anything, and I was, I didn't fit in anymore. I wanted him to feel that anger, that wrath. And then something miraculous happened because I'm digging around, looking for it, but it's gone. In my willingness to say yes to God, those wounds were healed miraculously, instantly, they're gone. And so he gets out of the van, and I'm looking in the mirror after thinking I looked like my mom my whole life. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> and we threw our arms around each other. You're getting ahead of yourself, well, your sister. It's a good it's the good part. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. He's bossy. We're making up T-shirts for her that say, I am the boss of all things possible. Because I am. <laughs> so I wasn't going to say anything until she spoke. And you parents know what that's like. You want to hear your kids' first words, right? I have never, we hadn't talked on the phone. There was no communication like that, no verbal communication. And I always tell people, it's like, I don't use words like hi or hello and a greeting because I'm too cool for that. And, you know, I'll do something like, hey. And so we get out of the van, and we walk up, and we're standing there, and I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm waiting for her first words. So I walk up, and I look at him, and I say, hey, <laughs> I'm a hugger. And we threw our arms around each other and wept. 
And at some point, either Leroy, our mom, says, hey, we should go in. We have reservations. So we went and sat down, and Sherry had picked out a gift for Jessica, which was very special to her, and and Leroy. Leroy had to have a T-shirt from Daytona, you know. And um, And we knew, Sherry and I knew that the one thing, I have a cousin that went through a similar experience, and I called him, and I said, I don't know what to do. You know, what do I do? And he said, well, it, just know it's all on her terms. You can't make any demands or have any requests. And and I asked the Lord, and I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. You know, I got, I'm got i a strategy guy. i got to have a plan. So what do I do? And you know how God is. He's going to give you an answer consistent with his nature. And he said, Jimmy, you love her. That's what you do. And I knew how to do that. And we walked into the restaurant and we sat down and I said, you know, I, I don't, we don't want anything from you. We're just, Sherry goes, yeah, we're just glad that you would even take this time to meet us. I said, but sometime when you're ready, whenever you would like, I would like to ask you to forgive me. And she reached across the table and grabbed me. So I reached across the table, and with 100% honesty, I could look at him and say, we can't change the past, but you're here now, and we're cool. She was a hippie, too. Secretly. Genetically. I don't know if that transfers or not. (laughs) I think it does. And so we started our relationship there. I was going to talk about Leroy. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, Dad mentioned a little bit about Leroy. He's a Marine. He is a Marine's Marine. And he, sitting in that restaurant, says, or sitting that night after we go back to the, we go back to the hotel. We went into the hotel with you guys to talk. For several hours. For several hours, where my introverted, Marines Marine, always on guard husband poured his heart out in front of them, to them. And then we get back to where he's staying, and he says, we should take him to lunch tomorrow. And I'm looking at him going, I don't know who you are, (laughs) but okay. So we did. We took him to his favorite, we took them to his favorite lunch place. And then something else miraculous happened. He says, you should take him to the house to meet the boys. Two and a half hours away where he is not going to be. And I'm thinking, he has lost his mind. But that's what God does, right? So we go. They come to the house. No, you come to the church. And we walk in. And you tell him about well, what you we saw. Well, we their church parking lot. And just a backstory on Jessica, three years prior to our meeting, uh, her son Aaron, who would be my oldest biological grandchild, uh, came home and said, I want to go to this church to a youth group. And she's like, you ain't going to no church without me checking it out. And she walks into the door, and the first person she meets is a girl that she served in the military with who was her party buddy, who just happens to be the director of discipleship at that church. 
which was the catalyst to Jessica and Leroy and all the boys coming to believe in Jesus. So we get there in a parking lot, and Jacob, their youngest, um, gets out and meets Sherry. And they're like, bam, they're instantly connected. I walk in the church during a prayer meeting, and they're getting in trouble for laughing and cracking up and blowing bubbles and stuff. But as I walk in, I get a picture of my oldest grandson on stage playing guitar in a youth band. So you can't make that stuff up. Okay, I don't know where to go from here. Sorry. We go to the house. We have dinner. You meet Matt and Seth, the older boys, and we're a family. At that moment, in those 48 hours, we are a family. So fast forward to Easter. We have Easter at my home church. And it's early. Nobody else is up. And we're sitting there, we're having a cup of coffee. And I looked at him. And with all the love I have, I can say that it's like you are always there. Because God did that. He answered that little girl's prayer. That who's going to be my daddy? Because I trusted God and said yes to him. I got a whole family. In Psalm 80, Psalm 68, verse 6, 5 and 6 talks about God's character in a way that really describes his desire for us all. It says, speaking of his character, it says, Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. For my religious mind, I assumed that uh, I qualified for the blessings of God from the moment that I received Jesus forward in my life. And it was beyond my comprehension to realize the fact that God's not bound by time. That he would willingly reach into my past to a time where I didn't serve him or regard him in any way, shape, or form and do what he does. And that's redeem. I had put a limit on him that he lovingly blew away out of my life and reached back into my past and said, I'm going to, I'm going to do something with this. And so we became a family and, uh, we just started living life. The first time that uh, Jessica and the boys and Leroy came to our house, Sherry prepared our house with a big banner. She found out all their birthdays and made bouquets of balloons with all their gym colors for their birthdays on it. And it was immediately like we were home. Jacob runs through the screen door and tears it up. Aaron clogs up the toilet. 
Jason immediately gets middle child syndrome because yeah. he's no longer the oldest. That's right. And, uh, but in my heart, I still had this overwhelming regret. And we were talking at the house, Leroy and the boys had went home and Jessica stayed over for a few days and Jason looks at me and he says, dad, he says, uh, you've got guilt and shame about this, don't you? And I said, no, Jason, I said, I know what that is and I'm not going to. I'm not going to let that ha have that power in my life. I said, but you just have to give me regret. And they attacked me like a pack of wolves on a piece of meat. And finally, Jessica just says, look, I'm not going to live my life like that. And I don't expect you to live your life like that. So you need to get over it. She's bossy like that. What? Really, I mean, t when I look back at it, it makes no sense. I've been forgiven by Jesus. I've been forgiven by her. Sherry, my rock star wife, had opened up her heart. My kids opened up their heart. Her kids, Leroy's boys, our whole family opened up our heart. So why would I want to hang on to the past and the negative emotion of regret rather than give that to Jesus and accept the fact that we're family and that he can have his way with us? That's the good stuff, right? Are you willing to set down the pain of your past to walk in to the beauty of the future that he has for you? Are you willing to get whatever that box is? For me, it was the daddy box. But we've all got a box that's locked up in our heart somewhere that we are hanging on to. Like if we let go of it, we're going to die. The reality is, is as long as we're holding on to it, we're already dead. Jesus comes, came to give us life and life to the full. Let him have it. Let him bring life back to that dead place. And we know that not every story, we know, first of all, there are a lot of you here today that have a similar story of a disconnect in your relationships. Might not be father, daughter, but it might be that it is. And uh, we know and realize that not every story turns out like ours, but we do serve a God who's, soul desire in Jesus was reconciliation and his gift to us then is that ministry of reconciliation and our part is to be willing to walk that path with him to reconciliation now we know that not everybody has the same heart and the same desire and the same willingness but we've met so many people in the last 11 years that have told us their stories. They come to us and say, I'm Sherry, or I'm Jessica, or I'm you, I'm Jessica's mom, I'm Amanda or Jason. I'm that character in this story. You know, we were sharing our story in West Virginia, in rural West Virginia, and the first guy that came out to the foyer was a, a West Virginia farmer, thick calloused hands and bib overalls, and he was shaking, just literally shaking. 
And he was able to hold back the tears long enough to say, you know, I haven't talked to my daughters in 25 years, and it's my fault. The next young man that came to the table said, tomorrow's my 21st birthday. And I texted my mom in the service and told her what I wanted. I wanted to meet my dad, who I've never met, and she knows how to make that happen. But we tell our story publicly for a reason. And that reason specifically is, is that we've met so many people that have similar stories such as ours. And if that's you in any way, shape, or form, there's a breach in your relationships. We urge you to do all that's within your power to demonstrate the realities of the love of God to those people that have been breached from you. We simply just ask for you to do something. What? We can't answer that question. It has to be between you and the voice of God that tells you the answer to that question. For some of you, it will be nothing. For some of you, it will be like Sherry and I, wait. But for some of you, it will be make the call, do the research, ask for forgiveness, receive forgiveness that's been offered. But do something in response to God's voice in this moment. So that's why we're here, not to glorify us or what we've been through, although I'm very proud of my family and the courage that it took for them to walk into this relationship. I'm very proud of my daughter that was willing to step up and allow the love of Jesus and the love of a family to overcome the pain and the hurt of her past. Because there's something greater than our pain. And it's the love that God has for each one of us. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.